Good morning. How are we doing today? Good, good, good. My name is Tyler Lane. I am the next-gen pastor here. And, and like Jeff said, uh, I recently got back from a 14-day four day trip uh, to the Philippines uh, with our outreach pastor, Steve. Uh, in fact, him and, uh, and Dan, our lead pastor, are uh, in Egypt right now. Steve went straight from the Philippines to Egypt, so be praying for them as they come home. Uh, but Steve and I have got a chance to go uh, for 14 days to, to meet with our uh, outreach partners in Baguio in the Philippines, uh, Pastor John and Hannah. I can see a picture of kind of the whole crew. Uh, we had an amazing time. So thank you for sending us. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, it was an awesome time. We're actually preparing for a group of high schoolers and some adults uh, to go next June. So you can be praying for that. Uh, lots of cool things happening there. We spent a ton of time uh, investing in their church, investing in their leaders. Uh, we, we held a seminar for some area pastors, about 60 uh, local pastors in Baguio came, and, and we had a, a, an awesome time. I got the opportunity to preach at their church. Just some really good time. And then at the end of our trip, we spent three days and took Pastor John and Hannah uh, to uh, an island, uh, uh, a different island. Uh, the Philippines has a bunch of islands. Anyway, uh, so, uh, and uh, just to give them some rest and encouragement, and uh, it's phenomenal. I hope to get to share a lot of those stories with you uh, at a different time. But one of the things I learned uh, in our time in the Philippines was how powerful our words can be. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, the Filipinos, uh, their, their national business language is English. So, uh, it, all Filipinos know English, and, and really well. They, they hear it and understand it very well, and they speak it really well as well. So uh, even when I was preaching, I didn't have to preach through a translator or anything. Like, I could have normal conversations. But their native language is Tagalog, and Tagalog is in no way like English. And I found myself at times, uh, we took their church leaders, uh, most of this group that's in this picture, uh, we took them away for like a 24-hour retreat where they could just get some rest and we could speak uh, encouragement over them and uh, just speak into their lives. And we had a lot of relational time. But there were several moments in that where they would go from English to Tagalog really quickly. I, I know like eight words. And they didn't say any of those eight words. And my insecurity started to flare up real quick. It's like, why, why did they switch from English? Why weren't they, are they talking about me? They're talking about, what does that word mean? I'm like looking up on Google Translate, like, okay, that's not derogatory. Okay, sweet. No, 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 but like, what's interesting is their power, their words held power. And I didn't even know what their words meant. That our words hold power. It also reminds me, I had a friend in, in college and she spent a short-term mission trip in South America. And she was leading this team uh, and, and the missionary uh, during a service like rushed her on stage like, hey, just say a couple words uh, to our church uh, to like on behalf of your team. She's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know, like this is kind of awkward. Um, and, and so she got up there and she, she was really shy. She was really embarrassed. So she decided she would cut the tension and she would just acknowledge her embarrassment. And so she said, I'm really embarrassado, which sounds like embarrassed. But if you speak Spanish, you know that that's not embarrassed, that's pregnant. And that is not what she meant to say. Not, not what she meant to say. See, her words held power. She was really embarrassed. It kind of altered some things. There's some rumor spreading in the congregation, you know. 
Sometimes our words hold power and we laugh them off. We're embarrassed, we kind of move on. And sometimes the words that are said to us stick. They crush, they destroy. I think about how I would guess all of us have at least one, maybe several instances where we can recall very quickly a time when somebody's words really cut to our soul. For me, it was a conversation I had with a parent of, of some of my students. It, it wasn't at this church, so you don't have to worry about if it was you. Um, but it was a couple days before we would leave for summer camp. If you've been around here, you know summer camps are a big deal. We take a lot of uh, time. It takes a lot of work to pull it off. There's a lot of moving pieces. Same was true then. So a couple days before we would leave to camp, uh, this parent came and it presented a request for, for me to help that would help him and help um, uh, his kids uh, get to camp and have a great experience. It, it, was a, it was an honest request, but it was one that I couldn't fulfill. I, I couldn't make it work in all the moving pieces. So I had to tell him, uh, we're actually at a funeral for, for a church leader. Um, this is kind of an awkward time to have this conversation, but I just had to tell him, like, hey, I'm sorry, I, ca I can't do that. And his response was to tell me for three minutes all the reasons why our ministry was failing and specifically why I was failing, why I was failing his kids, while I was failing his family, while I was failing the church, while I was failing Jesus, like up and down for three minutes, all the reasons I was sucking. He didn't know it, but I was in the process of passing three kidney stones in that moment. Like, I hadn't been out of my house in four days. Like, the pain was crazy. And in that moment, those words hurt way worse than the kidney stones. See, it's been over seven years since that interaction. And I could tell you almost word for word how it went. And luckily for me, my brain reminds me of that on a regular basis. My, my guess is that you guys have that story too. But you know what drives me more crazy about that story? Is that more times than not, I'm the one that said the thing that I probably shouldn't have said. I'm the one that said something that stuck with somebody else that they're trying to process. And my hope is they don't have a platform where they talk to 2,000 people to talk about it. But often our words stick and they cut. They hold power. And I don't think often we say our words intending to bring that pain. Often it's an offhanded comment or something we said in jest. But for that person, it sticks and it destroys because our words hold power. And it's not just the words we say to others. I think that's what we think of often. It's what I think of. We hear say like, hey, watch the words you speak. Watch what you say. We think about sitting across the table and saying the words. And that's certainly part of it. But this week and next week, as we talk about the power of our words, I want to frame it along three categories of words. First is the words that we speak to others. That's a huge one, right? The most common one. But the second one is the words that we speak to ourselves. Some of us are really careful about the words we say to others, but the things that we tell ourselves, we would never dare to tell another person. And the last one is the words that we type. 
I don't know what it is about the disconnect on a screen that makes us believe that there are no repercussions for the words that we say or the words that we type, right? In a text message, you can, you can say a lot of things. On Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, whatever it looks like, it's so much easier to disconnect from the humanity that's on the other side. And if we aren't careful, the words that we say to ourselves and to others and the words that we type can get away from us. In fact, the Bible often speaks about, how our, wor- about our words because God knows that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. In other words, that eventually the things that you put into your heart will make their way out. And James, James the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the, to the believers that were scattered across the area And he spoke very directly about the words and how they hold power and how important it is to watch what we say. In the third chapter of his letter, he says, For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship Turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. James gives a couple of clear illustrations to help drive his point home. The first is that our our words can be like a bit in the horse's mouth. See, we control a horse with just a small little piece This giant beast is controlled by something so small. And listen, I'm from Oklahoma. I should know all the ins and outs of horses. I don't. I've been on a horse twice in my life. Uh, but, But we know that we can control something that can create so much power we control with something so small. Or a large boat turns with a small rudder. We were in uh, the Philippine Sea going uh, kind of on this island hopper tour, seeing like five of the 7,000 Philippine islands. And uh, we were on our way back. It was day two. We were on our way back uh, to, to our dock where we could just go on about our day. And the, the waves and the, the wind are getting a little uh, bigger. And, and, and they, we start to, to hear and, and we kind of hit the And this boat is not, it's not state of the art. You know, it's, it's simple, this boat that we're on, but it's pretty big. It doesn't turn very quickly. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up uh, from one of the crew, walks up to the front of the boat and sticks this tiny oar in the front, and the boat pivots on a dime. 
And I looked to, to John to kind of figure out what, what's going on. And I was like, John, what's happening? He goes, oh, they lost something. We have to go back and get it. I said, John, we're in the ocean. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to find it. So we're just on this, this hunt. And I don't even know what we're hunting for. We finally get to it. And it's the wok that they used to cook our lunch in. Like they, it had fallen out. Luckily, those float. Who knew? Uh, spoons were still in it. It was good to go. But I had never seen this boat turn so fast, right? It, it, it turned quickly just because this little oar put it in the right spot and it flipped it. You see, the tongue directs a lot of where we go. And I, I love the illustrations of those, but there's one, his third one is the one that stands out to me. He says, a little spark is all it takes. And this is kind of like what my words are. They feel insignificant. And I can just keep firing them. And it feels like it's not really even doing anything. But he says a little spark creates a large forest fire. A, a guy on our staff, Jeff, who was just doing the communion offering, uh, in his free time in the summers, chooses to go fight forest fires. Uh, which is a proof that he is far manlier than I am. And, uh, and so uh, he would go spend like a couple weeks at a time on the front lines of these fires. One of those fires this summer in the state of Oregon was over 125,000 acres, big. My brain can't wrap my head around how big of a fire that is, but it was likely started here with just a spark with just a tiny flame. And isn't that the truth about my words? Maybe your words as well. I didn't mean to start it when I said that thing. I didn't mean to, for it to spread that far. I didn't mean for that to happen, but I, I was just speaking my, but our words have this power, this power to bring destruction. I know at any moment, at any moment, I have a response lined up. God has blessed me, cursed me, I don't, I don't know what it is, has blessed me with a quick tongue. I always have a response lined up. And oftentimes, I just pray that my filter fires before my tongue does. Listen, I, I, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I didn't Mean, but before I could even realize it, the fire is burning. I don't think we often set out to light a forest on fire, but we say small things to our kids that stick with them. In a moment of anger, we said something that our kids will go to counseling about. You see, we, we didn't, we just said something that we heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else. Like, it wasn't that big a deal. You see, we didn't mean any offense by it, but it spreads and it destroys. James says this shouldn't be. A mouse shouldn't speak curses and blessings, and we tame all kinds of animals. How do we tame our, tame our tongue? How do we reel in this power? Proverbs says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Can I just say, as a person who speaks for a living, 
That's not the biggest encouragement I've gotten. But it's true. In any moment, we have the opportunity to speak life or to speak death. And how do we guide that? How do we choose life instead of death? I think James is clear that we use wisdom, specifically the Spirit's wisdom, to guide our words and speak life. James says, no man can control the tongue, and he's right. We cannot. But as we press into who God is and who God is creating us to be, his Spirit will give us wisdom so we can reign in our tongues. And if you find yourself struggling with your words, first evaluate your exposure. Often in my life, what I watch, what I listen to, what I choose to be around will affect what I say because ultimately it's not a words problem, it's a heart problem. So if you want to speak better, life-giving words, fill your heart and your mind with life-giving words. And then next, evaluate the words that you say. At first, you'll probably have to take inventory of what you just said. Man, what a fun exercise that is. Right? You're at the end of your day. You're like, all right, let's replay this day. Shouldn't have said that. Probably could have worded that better. Definitely shouldn't have said that. Saying that's why I'm on the couch right now. Right? Like you just go through it. Right? But as you begin to build that process and you begin to build that filter, then you have the opportunity to use the Holy Spirit's wisdom to say different words. Like before you even say them, you say different words or, or maybe no words at all. Proverbs reminds us, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. It's not the most positive life verse, but it probably should be mine. It probably will be on my tombstone. That's up for my wife to decide, but like it, it's true that many times I just need the Holy Spirit's wisdom to just not say anything. And there's a holiday coming up a few days from now where you might need to replay this verse over and over and over, right? Because some of you are going to go to families on Thursday and there's going to be conversations where you're like, Holy Spirit, oh gosh, <laughs> right? You got plenty of thoughts that you want to say, but opening your mouth might just light a fire that you're not going to be able to control. I've been there. Maybe it's one of the reasons we moved from Oklahoma to Washington. I just like, I get to avoid it. I don't have to say those words. I don't have to avoid those words. See, this week, and beyond, what if you evaluated your words, took inventory of what you said to help the things that you say to yourself, to others, the things that you type, more life-giving. In his book, Soundtracks, John Acuff writes about these, the, 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 the things you say to yourself, the thoughts that you have, and the negative things that we say are, are preventing and damaging our future. He calls them broken soundtracks that play over and over and over, preventing us from moving forward. And he gives three questions to ask to help us identify broken soundtracks. 
And I think these same three questions can be really helpful as we start to take inventory of our words to help us say more life-giving words. The first one, is it true? Is what you just said, is what you were about to say, is it true? Like, is it really true? 100% true? Paul writes to the church in Philippi, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Take it a step further. Say those things. Is it true? What if we only said things we knew to be true? What effect would it have if the words that came out of our mouth we knew were true? And if we didn't know they were true, we just opted to not say them or not type them. Listen, social media would be a completely different environment if we only typed and shared things that we knew to be true. Like every time I see an article, my first thought is, is that true? Has somebody verified it? And for a while, it was like, oh, it has a blue check. That means it's true. But like, we don't even know that. You just pay $8 a month and say whatever you want. So like, is it true? There's a whole, there's websites created simply to help us verify what is out there is true. You know what we wouldn't need? Any of that. If we just committed to saying what was true. Sometimes the thoughts that we have, the first question we need to ask is, is this true? Because it can start playing and playing and playing, and yet it's not even true. I had a conversation with my eight-year-old daughter a, f- a while back. She's learning a lot about being honest right now. And I reminded her, hey, you know, if you just say what's true, you don't have to worry about what you said. Like, you don't have to like, oh, I don't remember what I said. to No, 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 because it's true. If it was true, then it's true now, right? You don't have to worry about the story that you spun. It's just true. Second question, is it kind? Is it kind? Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body, Proverbs says. Because not every true thing needs to be said. A mentor in my life once told me, hey, Tyler, always tell the truth, but don't always be telling it. And I found that to be true. There are some things that are true, but I don't need to say them. Or I simply, simply don't need to say them right now. Or I don't need to say them in that way. See, when we evaluate not just the validity of our words, but the kindness of our words, we start to put wisdom into play. And it requires us to think about the other person, to think about ourselves, to humanize the person on the other side of the screen before we press sin, before we open our mouth. If you're struggling with kindness toward yourself, 
I want you to ask, if you said this to a friend, would they still want to be friends with you? And if the answer is no, why are you speaking that to yourself? God who created you is not speaking that to you. Why are you speaking that to yourself? If you're struggling with the words, kind words to other people, think, if someone said this to you, would you still want to be their friend? If, if the answer is no, why are you saying it? It's got to be true, but is it kind? Last question. Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Paul writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This takes kindness to the next level. Did what we say help? Did it seek to build up or just to criticize? You can ask my wife or my team. The critique is usually what comes first for me. I have the critique. And honestly, I, like, I just want to help. But did what I say help? I don't know. Sometimes I'm just trying to help, but I don't know if what I said was actually helpful. And I think there's a difference. Because we don't receive, well, most of us don't receive words as robots. Right? We receive them with emotions. And Paul says that our words should be helpful according to their needs. So it requires us to think about the other person's needs. That they're walking into this, not in a vacuum, but they're coming from something. They're experiencing things. They're experiencing emotions. There's a lot going on. And we have to take that extra step before we ever open our mouths or before we ever press send to think about the other person and their experience. I've got to consider them before I speak. And I wonder if this week, if the words I said, if the words you said were true, were they kind? Were they helpful? I know last night I watched one quarter of a football game that I was looking forward to all week. My favorite team. Turns out they decided not to show up. And I chose to say some words that were true, but they weren't kind. And it turns out they weren't very helpful because they didn't score any more points either. And it's one thing to say them to a screen. It's a whole different story when I say them to my kids. When I say them to my wife. see, for the last 14 years, I've worked with students, and I've had plenty of them sit in my office, devastated by the words that either they said that they're been the, seeing the repercussions of, or the words of someone else that honestly didn't mean anything by it, but the person can't move on from it. See, our words hold a lot of power. So are the words we sang, are they true? Are they kind? Are they helpful? And as you go from here, return to your homes, to your schools, to your jobs, carry with you those three questions. Begin to evaluate everything you say on the terms that it's true, that it's kind, that it's helpful. 
And in doing so, you begin to reverse this culture we live in of tearing down and instead build a new culture built on the love and grace of Jesus. Because it was his true, kind, and helpful words on the cross that allowed us to find this reconciliation with God. When he said, Father, forgive them. And it is finished. So the God of the universe, who used words to bring everything into existence, have given you those same life-giving words on your tongue. This week, evaluate the words that you speak to yourself, to others, and the words that you type to bring life everywhere you go for God's glory and our good. Let me pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to get to think about what we speak. And Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to say better words this week. Lord, as we go, Lord, would you remind us of the words that you've spoken over us. And Lord, would you give us the courage to speak life as we go. Remind us of the the life-giving words that Jesus spoke for us. Lord, Jesus is the only way this is possible. And it's in and through him that we pray. Amen.